How did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. One day and night must scramble for a living, feed a wife and children, send his daily press, and who has a right as master of the house to have the final word at home? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I was waiting for my signal to start talking. Sorry about that. Um, anyways, welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with New Radio Media, and we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. If you'd like to contact the show, you can try to get through to Alyssa at 844-999-9249. That's 844 844- Nine 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 two four nine, or you can email us at let's talk Torah at gmail.com. No apostrophes, let's talk Torah at gmail.com. I hope you're all those of you who are celebrating the Sukkot holiday. I hope you're enjoying the holiday like I am, except I'm here in the studio now. But, um, fantastic holiday. Um, had grandchildren, we've gone on trips, grandchildren have come and gone, more are coming to the house. People have come to visit me in my sukkah. Uh, shout out to Paul, who was supposed to come to my sukkah, has not made it yet, but he still has a few days left if he's listening. And even if he's not listening, he still has a few days left. Anyways, with all the interviews we've been doing and people we've been meeting and people we've been talking to, we have a fantastic guest lined up for the second segment. That's going to be uh, David Eden, author of my Pashtun rabbi, and first you're going to have to find out what the word Pashtun, I think I'm pronouncing it right, means. Just a fascinating book, a fascinating person. Um, everybody I meet, I'm telling you about this person, and their, their mouths are open when I talk about his book and uh, at least part of the life that he's lived and what he's written about. Okay, we'll get to that later. we got to talk about Sukkot. we got to talk about what's it for, some of the... The things we do, the palm branches we shake, the citrons that we hold, the dancing, and we'll call it partying, uh, and the fun that we have. Let's let's take it all slow, at least in the first segment, to get as much done about the holiday. Um, if Jake is still there, he can put up that picture to give you, thank you, just to give you an idea of a sukkah. Um, as you can see, I hope behind me or in front of me, that's a bunch of, some are my children, some are my grandchildren. They're actually sitting on tables um, in my sukkah. That is not part of the holiday to have children sit on the table in the hut. But um, I every year, it's like the picture I like to take. When everyone's trying to get ready for the holiday, I'm finding all the kids in the house, and I'm putting them on a table, and I'm having them dance, and I take my pictures, and then I just send them off. But the, there's two major commands that are done during this holiday. One is to eat, drink, and many people to sleep in this, I'm calling it a hut, for lack of a better term. It's four walls with a, not a regular roof. You'll have palm branches or, or tree branches or bamboo mats or, 
or even slats to make the roof. It's certainly not a roof that will protect you in rain. So for those in the Detroit area, by the second day of Sukkot, you were probably eating in your house because, oops, we lost one of our mics, because it was pouring outside. So when it's raining, of course, you can't be in that hut. But we eat in that hut, we talk, we schmooze, we, we study, whatever you would do around a family dining room table over a holiday is exactly what we do. We eat lots of good food, and I still have permission from my old friend, um, Bill. I think his name was Bill. No, Mike. Mike Gruel, who said, it's the holidays, you only live once, so therefore I keep eating. So it's time to start my diet again. But we're, we're, we're working on it. So the question is, why? Why do we have this holiday? What does God want us to remember, to, to symbolize? To, what, what's it all about? So there's actually an argument in the Talmud. Some say it's to remind us when we traveled in the desert that we never were in a, in a permanent setting. The Jewish people leave Egypt. We basically are in the desert for the next 40 years till we get into the land of Israel and we're in the desert. So you could imagine that God says, okay, you're going to be in the desert. We're going to be here for the next five years, 10 years, you know, build yourself a house or something. But God never says that. As a matter of fact, it was, it was almost hit or miss. You could be in a place for a day, for a week, for a month, one location for 19 years. But God was never telling the Jewish people when we're getting up next to move on to the next location. So if you've ever traveled with children, sometimes adults, everybody knows you get in the car, you're traveling for about five minutes, and someone is bound to say, are we there yet? Or when are we going to get there? And even myself... I mean, when I drive to New York often, and I have my, you know, like every car, you have your speedometer there, and your, and the uh, automatic, what's it called, odometer, and I'm sitting there saying, okay, we have driven 67 miles, and I have 570 miles left to the trip, and if I average 65 miles for the rest of the trip, we'll be there in X amount of hours, and I do that every, I don't know, five minutes, 10 minutes, so it's, it's in our nature we like to know, when am I going to get there? Where am I going? How long is it going to take to get there? That is the natural uh, tendency of anybody. That's the way we are. Children are that way. Adults are that way. You get onto a plane, and they say, uh, we're 25 planes in front of us, and all you want to know is, so when will we take off? When will we take off? When will we land? That's in our nature. So the Jewish people had to travel through the desert for 40 years not knowing. That was part of the test that you're going to come and go when God says. So, therefore, you're not going to build a permanent house, a brick house or something, where it might last for a day, a week, a month. You have no idea. You're not going to bother. So one of the things that we remember during the Sukkot holiday is we never knew when we were coming or going and God appreciated that type of service. That's one. Um, as a continuing in that thought, by the way, um, the whole idea of going into this temporary type of dwelling, this hut that I keep calling it, but again, it could have solid walls, doesn't matter, but certainly not a very good roof and certainly uh, not so much heating and air conditioning. Um, so the idea is to remind people that everything is temporary. 
the world is temporary. What happens is temporary. We think we know we know what's happening today. We think we know what's happening tomorrow. Um, even with R.D. sitting next to me, he's telling me a story, a tragic story really won't go into. But again, we think we know all the plans. We make all our future plans. And uh, they come crashing down sometimes. We don't know. Life is temporary. What happens today has no bearing sometimes mm-hmm. on the next day and further. And I got a nod in agreement on that one. So um, so the going into the hut, going into the sukkah, leaving our permanent home, reminds us that everything in this world is really very temporary. So that's one idea of a sukkah. A second idea of a sukkah uh, is uh, it's called the Anane HaKavod. When we traveled in the desert, you know, the desert's a fairly hot, dangerous place to travel. So God protected the Jewish people with what? is known as the clouds of glory. Now, there were these clouds, hard to describe because as old as I tell my children and students I am, um, I don't really, I wasn't there then, not that old. Um, But in any case, we were protected from the environment. Uh, It was a perfectly, like some of these stadiums, the temperature was perfect and the, the air quality was perfect and the humidity was perfect. And that is how we traveled in the desert. Animals weren't coming in. Um, armies couldn't come in. Uh, for the most part, you wouldn't want to leave. We were in a cocoon. We were very protected. So those clouds of glory, which traveled with us through the 40 years. After the 40 years, we go into the land of Israel. They're done. No more of those clouds of glory. We are now like anybody else. We're in, we're in the land. We'll become farmers. There'll be wars. Uh, but that's that was it for those special clouds. So again, a reminder how God protected us through those 40 years. As an interesting thought, um, so there's a famous question that everybody asks. We left Egypt um, in the spring. That's the Passover season. This Sukkot holiday is six months later. So why are we having a Sukkot holiday six months after we left Egypt, especially if the reason is for the clouds of glory, that's the reminder. We, we had those clouds almost immediately when we left Egypt. So we should have to eat our matzah, our Passover seder, um, in a sukkah. That would sort of make sense. So there was a great rabbi known as the Vilna Gon, and he explains that it's true when we left Egypt, we got the clouds immediately, but what happened was um, we sinned a little fairly quickly afterwards. That was with the golden calf, right? We go out, we travel about 49 days, we get the Torah. 40, 40 days later, 39 days later, we uh, create that golden calf. When we did that sin, God took away the clouds. Then Moses goes back to pray, comes back, goes back again to get the second tablets. We've talked about it in the past. And Moses comes down and tells us about building a tabernacle for God's presence, once we collect all the money in the world's greatest uh, fundraising feat of collecting everything needed in two days, and then Moses said, stop bringing, which to my knowledge doesn't happen in any fundraiser. Um, Once we were ready to build a tabernacle, sorry about my throat over there. Once we were ready to build a tabernacle, so then the clouds come back. And if you do the math on the days of the calculation, it comes out that is the time of the Sukkot holiday. <clears throat> I think my cough button worked, unless it was heard by another mic. That was pretty good. That was good. I was ready for that one. 
You know, actually, I, I don't have to use my voice as much because we're on vacation. So I thought my voice, everything is going good. I'm not leading the prayers right now. But um, I actually just took my kids. We have, um, we don't want the children not to study. So we have programs that every morning the children come study for about 45 minutes. And, of course, you reward them and they get to chocolate bars or potato chips. So today we took the boys that were involved in this program to a water park. So great water park. It's fun. But it's in one of these rooms that if you want to talk to a friend, you don't even realize you're screaming. So therefore, I made sure to do that right before I came here so that my voice would be uh, as rough or rougher as usual. So that's the gist of the Sukkot holiday. It's for seven days we will be in and out of the sukkah. That's where we'll eat. It's decorated. If you saw the picture before, we hang all kinds of glittery decorations. Children make posters in school. We hang them up all over the walls. It's, uh, it's fun. That's part of the holiday spirit. It's just the kids love it. The parents love it, I hope. The kids love it. It's very good, except when we're attacked by bees, and then they're not so happy, and we, I set up my bee traps. Therefore, I say there can't be any bees because I have bee traps. I don't know. The bee traps, I set them up exactly the way they said. I don't think there's any bees in my bee traps, but they are, they are in my sukkah. I think what happens is it's like the mice I used to catch. In other words, we are creating smart bees. Now, it's all the dumb bees go into the trap. So who's left? The smart ones. So there's no one left to catch. We're creating um, all these smart bees. Maybe yes, maybe not. I have no idea. In any case, that's the first part of the sukkah holiday. The second command is, and it's interesting enough, it's, it's part of our, it, this holiday we're commanded to be very happy. And as all holidays, we're supposed to be happy. This holiday specifically is called the Time of Joy, Zman Simchasenu. It's a happy holiday. Now, again, if you go back to a farming culture, this would be the season where the farmer is bringing in all his food from the field. So all his months and months and months of effort and sweat and, and out in the field and pruning and and, and harvesting and plowing and the cows and the fertilizing, all his work, the winnowing, the threshing, the whole process is really now over. So now he, as we say, he can reap the fruits of his labor. He's in a very happy mood. So God says you are in your happiest mood right now. I want you to be happy, but I also want you to remember that you got to serve God. So take that joy Take that happiness and don't forget about God when all of a sudden now you think everything is going fantastic. So we also shake um, what we'll call four species. We take a a tall green uh, palm branch. It's pretty tight. We're going to take a yellow citron. Um, It's called an etrog in Hebrew. Um, You think it looks like a lemon. The truth is you don't find them in regular fruit stores. They're not very tasty. As a matter of fact, they don't taste good at all. They're fairly bitter. At best, you turn them into a jam or jelly. I, I don't eat them. Um, we take some myrtle branches. We take some, uh, some, again, it looks like a willow tree. It's not exactly a willow tree uh, called an arava. And we put them together and we shake them and they, it smells good and it looks pretty. My daughter says, when you look in the synagogue and you see hundreds of men and children, by the way, uh, walking around the synagogue with this, these groups, it, it just looks, it's fantastic. It almost looks like weapons, like everybody's walking around with their weapons, which are really meant for prayer. We're not attacking anybody except when you shake them and they're a little sharp sometimes and you poke somebody. So that uh, obviously doesn't go so well. 
but there's numerous um, um, comparisons um, with these with these four species to different types of people. For example, um, the etrog is a fruit, so it has a good smell, has a good taste. That's the person who has it all. He has good. He he's a kind person. He has he does good deeds. He studies Torah. You have the um, the palm branch, which is really coming from a date tree, so it has good taste, but there's no smell. That's the person who studies Torah. You have the myrtle branch, which is very good to smell. Very, um, it's people actually put them. You ever get flowers? Sometimes they'll put those myrtle branches in the flowers, and so that's the good smell. The person with good deeds, but maybe not so much Torah. Then you have the arava branch, this willow tree branch which has, it doesn't smell, no taste, and that's the person who has no Torah and no good deeds, and the Torah says, I want you to hold them all together. You're going to hold them all together, and you're going to shake them. And the idea is that the Jewish people, and all people for that matter, need to know that um, it doesn't work when, when we, uh, special people will be on their own or this kind of person will be on their own. We need to be all-inclusive. We want everybody together. We call it achdos or achdot. We want everyone to be together, everyone to be happy during this happy season, this joyous holiday season. We want to put everybody together. It's symbolic for us to know you're not supposed to be on your own. You're not supposed to look down at others. You're supposed to be together with everybody. And as my time is winding down, we are going to get ready for our next segment after the break. And when we come back after our break... We are going to interview David Eden, who is the author of My Pashtun Rabbi. And we're going to have to find out what a Pashtun is. You do not want to miss this interview. It is just a fantastic interview about a professor in an Arab country. And lots to talk about. And we'll be there. We'll be right back. Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our 9 and Dine special, 9 holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. Advertising your business these days can be challenging. Traditional radio and TV ads are expensive and, frankly, a bit of a crapshoot. Not to mention, the audience for over-the-air material is shrinking as more and more of us demand to see and hear what we want, when we want. Advertising on new radio media is a solution. With our live streaming programs that are also available on demand, your message is always ready when your customers are ready to watch and listen, all for a fraction of what you'd likely have been paying for other ads. NewRadioMedia.com. Call Buzz Van Houten at 248 239-9999 for more information. Hey you guys, it's Raphael of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Guess what? The only thing we can get down here in the sewer is Geektainment Weekly on new radio media. Turtle Power! Hi, I'm Art and we're the crew at Tuffy Walled Lake. We've been in Walled Lake for 20 years. And through our knowledgeable staff and customer satisfaction, we've become quite the cornerstone in our community and to our discerning customers statewide. We know how important your vehicle is to you, and we take pride in our impeccable, affordable service. And we're trying to get you back on the road as quickly and safely as we possibly can. 
Please stop in and see why everybody comes from all over to get their car serviced at 784 North Pontiac Trail in Wald Lake. And we're back. And I didn't have my music to get me ready to come in, but we are back. And Alyssa says we're good. So, as advertised, I am joined by David Eden, author of My Pashtun Rabbi. David, how are you? Rabbi, I'm doing great. I'm here in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, you're in uh, Michigan, correct? I am in Detroit. So, uh, I, 40 years ago, I was the television columnist for the Detroit News, and I lived in Troy, Michigan. So, hello to everyone in Detroit. See, you know, someone, someone told me last night, he did not recognize your name, but he said 30, 40 years ago, all the sportscasters were Jewish. Is that true? Uh, a few. I mean, I was friends with Sonny Elliott. You may know that name, the uh, the weather guy. Sure. Channel 4. And Jimmy Butzakaris. In fact, I used to fly across Lake Erie from uh, Detroit City Airport to downtown Cleveland so they could get their toupees blocked, and then we'd fly back. <laughs> okay. And did you have to fix your toupee? I, I'm, I'm bald, so, you know, I'm an old, bald Jewish guy now, so. Not even a concern. See, I know the feeling, and it doesn't bother me, and I keep telling my barber not to leave here to come over. I'm not that vain, and he doesn't believe me. Yeah, well, uh, I agree. I'd rather have no hair than a comb over any day. Yes. So So we have uh, to talk. You you know, I read your book as I told you, um, and which is what we're going to talk about. I mean, the things that that you've done are, I think, for most people— um, at least eye-opening, if not mind-boggling. But um, let's get back a little, a little of your history. So you were a sportscaster in Detroit. You then moved to Cleveland. And uh, before we get to the book and going to uh, Dubai, so what, what, what was with your life then? What was happening? Well, you know, I, was, uh, I wrote for the newspaper. I wrote about television. I worked in Minneapolis. I was uh, a columnist, a political editor, a uh, sports editor. I, I lived in Dallas where I was a sports editor and a Sunday magazine editor. Ended up in Cleveland, my hometown. I ran the Washington Bureau for the Plain Dealer. Uh, I went out into the world, worked for a company called Forest City Enterprises, which used to have property in uh, Millender Center in, in Detroit. Long story short, I uh, edited... Uh, alternative newspaper here then went to a tv station ran the tv station and you know about three years in there was a change of management a little bit of shall we say workplace anti-semitism i was fired i sued the tv station i won a nice settlement and i had no career because it was blown up so what am i going to do with my life and And that's what we got to talk about so, yeah, so once you I had nothing I to do with your ad. life, so so you applied, you applied, applied to I a. An ad. Yeah, I saw an ad for a professor to teach journalism at United Arab Emirates University, and I applied online. And uh, the application at one point it said religion. So in the United States, they don't ask you what your religion you are. So I wrote, well, 
you know, do I respond, do I not? So I wrote Jewish, and I thought that would be the end of it. Long story short, I was hired. I was hired because two of the three people on the selection committee were Americans, and uh, one of whom, the department chair of the communications department, had read about me in the Cleveland Jewish News suing the TV station, you know, for, you know, what happened, and that I won. It was a, They called it a David and Goliath story. So based on me standing up for my Jewishness, I got hired to be the journalism expert at United Arab Emirates University. And that set me off on this adventure. And I had, why not? My son was off to college. Uh, you know, I did, I was kind of at the beginnings of, the, of a divorce. I had no job prospects. And there I was in my mid-50s and, you know, go off halfway around the world. Yeah, you know, when you say why not, and I think it was a when we were communicating back and forth, emails, LinkedIn, um, the I could tell you a lot of reasons why I I don't know if you know what I look like if you've seen my picture. I, I'm actually I was watching you uh, streaming, so yeah, cool. I saw you. So you do know what I look like. So I can, I, I have a lot of good reasons why not to apply for a a a a position as a professor. In, uh, in an Arab country. Like, I don't know what would happen when I would get off the plane. You um, were not so concerned, and you had no problem writing. You were Jewish in your application. And even in the beginning of the book, I believe one of your, um, I don't know if it was a friend or, a, or somebody working with you, said, uh, just say you're Canadian. That's correct. That was a, a boyhood friend who uh, we grew up. He was a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. He was just before the Iraq War, he went in as a weapons inspector with Hans Blix, uh, uh, looking for nukes, didn't find any. And he had a lot of experience in the Middle East. He said, you know, don't tell anyone you're Jewish, tell them you're Canadian. So, yeah, right, I'll go see for myself. Because one of the things that we don't do is, uh, you know, a lot of us, you know, go by what other people say. I, my whole life has been going to see for myself, to tell the stories. Uh, that I thought were important in my own voice through my own eyes. So with that, and it's why not? I can go do it. You know, you and I have beards. We're bald and this and that. You know, I I pass to many people. I could pass as Italian. I could pass as Russian. You know, the first thing is, you know, is he Jewish? No, because I don't wear a kippah. You know, I don't wear black and white. I'm a, a normal Jewish guy from Cleveland who likes the Indians. Who so. likes, which is, you know, I feel I feel your pain because, you know, we're a little better here in Detroit, but, you know, we have the Lions and stuff, so I guess I feel your pain. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, okay, so so you, again, I'm telling you, it's guts. Like, like e- even the idea that they have in their paperwork that you are Jewish and you are, and they didn't discover it, and you are off to Dubai to be a professor in an Arab country, a language you don't speak, which obviously didn't bother them. I guess they wanted you to, to teach English. But yeah, wait, well, when you, you, yeah, the, the university was all English language. They had changed it, so all the teachers had to taught in English, and the students uh, had to be proficient enough in English. So yes, I flew into Dubai, and that went inland about a hundred kilometers to a city called Alain, which is right on the border with Oman, and that's where United Arab Emirates University is, the flagship national university with about 15,000 students. And I went, I was hired to teach journalism. 
journalism of all things, which uh, I guess we'll get to. It'll lead to your discovery. Before we even get into the book, I have to tell you, when I first opened the book, when I first saw the book, I had a problem with the title. The title, of course, is my, tell me if I'm pronouncing it right, my Pashtun Rabbi. Correct. Okay, I didn't know what a Pashtun was. What? Well, you know, that, that, was, well, that was one of the, you know, the draws, you know. We know what a rabbi is, right? A rabbi is a teacher and a sage and all that. And the Pashtun, you know, what I learned from the Pashtun themselves is they consider themselves descendants of the, of the Hebrews. Really? And, and since this book's come out, and in fact, if you recall, there's a, a small story in, in the book where Nor is saying, you know that the Pashtuns are descendants of the Hebrews, you know, from the destruction of the first temple. Yes, you know, I do remember. Where did, where did Jews go? So, you know, and I've heard from uh, a lot of Pashtuns since uh, before the book because I've been advertising it in the United Arab Emirates. And I've had many of them say, do you know that Jew, that Pashtuns come from Jews? So, okay, so I'm going to help everybody out. That's part of the entry. So, David, once I'm going to help everybody out. Um, what what David means is that um, that way back after, bef- right before the destruction of the first temple, the ten tribes were taken out of Israel and dispersed somewhere. So it has always been people have always been searching. Um, there were Jews in the time of Columbus who believed the American Indians were from the lost tribes, and. Uh, and the people in Pashtun, Pashtun is an area or just the name of a, of a, of a tribe? That I myself well, it, not sure. Well, it's, uh, it's in northern, northern Pakistan into Afghanistan. So the tribal areas of, of uh, Waziristan, right, and, uh, in Pakistan. So the Pashtun tribes live across both borders. And the Pashtun of, you know, are also, as mentioned in the book, you know, they're considered to be, uh, you know, part of, uh, you know, the Al-Qaeda and this and that, but many aren't, right? So the Pashtun have been under duress from the British government, now from the Pakistani government. So there are about 40, 45 million Pashtun tribesmen. They have different tribes. So the Pashtun that you really deal with in the book is your private taxi driver. Uh, he, he is correct. So... He is uh, my principal Pashtun, and through him, over the course of my time there, uh, his friends and, and tribe mates and relatives would come into my apartment. We'd spend time together. You'll, you'll know near the end of the book where, you know, when I'm leaving, they throw a big Pashtun feast for me by the, the Green Park near Jebel Hafid, the second tallest mountain in the Emirates. So... I became well known among the the Pashtun or the Dower tribe in the in the Emirates through Nor, who you know picked me up on the side of a street one day when the the first night of Ramadan when we couldn't get a taxi and took me you know back to the hotel where we were staying and from that day on it was with me every day. So I, as I think people would say, a a match made in heaven. So before my music comes on. And we get a little bit more into what I want to talk about about the book. David, can you hold with us through the break? 
I'll hold with you as long as you want. Thanks. Fantastic. So we're listening to David Eden, author of my Pashtun, Ra- Pashtun Rabbi. We've talked Pashtun. We've talked uh, Arab Emirates. We're going to talk more about his book. Hold through the break, and we'll be right back. The latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market, all by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. Hi, I'm Art, and we're the crew at Tuffy Walled Lake. We've been in Walled Lake for 20 years. And through our knowledgeable staff and customer satisfaction, we've become quite the cornerstone in our community and to our discerning customers statewide. We know how important your vehicle is to you, and we take pride in our impeccable, affordable service. And we're trying to get you back on the road as quickly and safely as we possibly can. Please stop in and see why everybody comes from all over to get their car serviced at 784 North Pontiac Trail in Wald Lake. Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our 9 and Dine special, 9 holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in a clubhouse bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm David. Join us for fun and adventure on our new show, PodQuesters, where we fight through imaginary battles and pray to the dice gods for good rolls. Yes, it's an epic, sweeping adventure. We try to fulfill our destinies without driving the Dungeon Master crazy. I thought that was the point. Anyways, check us out here on newradiomedia.com, Fridays, PodQuesters. See you there. And I'm joined by David Eden, author of My Pashtun Rabbi. And we're talking about what it's like to be, or we're going to talk about what it's like to be Jewish in an Arab country. Certainly the way David did it, which is really fascinating. David, are you still there? I Rabbi. Great. Okay, so we talked just your rabbi. We talked about your taxi driver. We'll see what we get into. So you're going to be teaching journalism. And in yes. the, now, I don't remember the exact years you were there, but you were there when there were certainly many uh, Palestinian-Israeli issues going on at the time. What, which, uh, I don't want to say skirmish, but at which time, uh, which conflict were you in Dubai or in the United Arab Emirates during? Oh, that everyone, I arrived in, uh, in, in August 2000. A couple for a huge stock market and I rock. David, one second. Could you just start the conversation again? Something where it's a little bit uh, not so clear. I, I apologize. Okay. Just start it again. That's fine. So I arrived in uh, August 2008, uh, uh, before the stock market crash, and when Lee Brothers was a business and uh, market full. 
worldwide, and we inspired the great so time tumultuous and in the earth too when I was there a gods of so that was what the first of three that that, that took and during time first semester that I that I was teaching all females as you either taught all females or you males classes were not David, I'm going to cut you off one more time. I don't know why you're, you're like in and out. I, I do apologize, I but I myself. What? I think it's a bad cell connection. We got a bit, it maybe moved because at the beginning we had that's a good, good connection. The first. How's, how's this? Is this, is this better? better? I think that's better. better. Okay, so you're teaching okay. all girls. Te- well, in the book, you're mostly discussing your girls' class. So you have to discuss the, the conflict. All girls. Right. 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 That's right. And uh, so. 2018 was a, the Gaza War. This takes place at a time when I'm, when I'm teaching uh, all girls, and I have teaching three different classes. And, and I was hired as a journalism expert, really given journalism courses to teach because of it's called WASTA, an influence. There was an order, and there was uh, an professor who wanted to teach, give it basically in classes. And, uh, you know, last computer reporting, which in the U.S. is, you know, high technical reporting class there. I learned that computer system reporting uh, because of each uh, women to use computers and type computers to write their stories. So that's a little bit of. Uh, right. So, all right. So you had to teach them. I'm just going to help people if it's a little bit not so clear. So. There was in the book you discussed there were computer issues that the girls barely had computers, but I really want to hit on the point. What what were the girls' reactions? I guess defending the Palestinians, and what were you doing defending the Israelis, or maybe just trying to keep an open eye on both sides of the picture? And uh, okay, let's start with that, and then we'll move on to the next part. Sure. Well, the first thing was. I did not discuss Israeli-Palestinian politics in my class. I did not let my students know that I was Jewish in my classes. So it became a point where it needed to be discussed. And in one class that I taught, a small class, about nine students, uh, there were students, you know, as they you know, learned, that were very anti-Israel, not anti-Jewish in Israel, and student was, uh, me, was a Palestinian in Abu Dhabi, and I always lived there. So it came to pass that class, where one was doing editorial cartoons, were very anti And we discussed those. I discussed those in the book. You know, the Palestinian student tried to, you know, root out, you know, who are you? Where, what is your, where is your family from? Well, my family's from Russia. So without saying it, decided decided I was Jew, right? Type of thing. So we did not, it came up as a matter of a teaching thing. It was not something we discussed, but it was something that was always in the background. Now, in terms of Emiratis and their views of Palestinians, I found very little sympathy for the uh, plight of Palestinians among Emiratis themselves when I talked to them outside of class. And I'm not saying students, I'm saying, you know, the Palestinians were seen as a nuisance. And 
were not you know well received uh, in broader society. Interesting. So so you the there's students that are starting to discover that you are Jewish. Did any of them come to you at some point straight out and say I don't know how you refer to a professor, doctor, however they called you, teacher, <laughs> doctor, doctor. Right, right. Did they say straight out, "Are you Jewish?" Uh, the girls, girls never. We call them the girls. They never did. But at the end of my first semester, with Sa'ah, my pal, my student, you know, we uh, we had a back and forth and email, and in that, I just being Jewish, she figured out I was Jewish, and there's. As you remember, a very poignant uh, part of the book where, you know, she's writing at the end of the course. And she's sharing a diary of what happened during the beginning of the Gaza War when she figured out I was Jewish. And, and you know, known I was Jewish before I started, she would take in the class. And she took the class, and she was glad she did because she got to see another perspective. And we came to understanding uh, about it. So, yeah changed a few minds. Right, which is, which, is what the, which is what life is all about. In other words... Right, they've never met a Jew before. None of these people have ever met a Jew before, so what media characterization and things that they had heard before. So if you're going to meet a Jew, I think I'm an okay one to meet. I think so. I hope so. So, but not... Well, I thought so. So, but once this girl now knows you're Jewish, did you think it was all over? She's going to spread the word. People are going to find out you're Jewish, and you'll, if you're lucky, you'll uh, you'll get a ticket for the next flight out. What happened? <laughs> uh, you know, she uh, she said she wouldn't tell anyone, and I told her I don't care because as the second semester went went on, I let it uh, we'll find out the people that were in my life. So it was the book, as you know, is not just a my teaching at the university. It's about my relationships with Noor, my, my Pashtun rabbi, about my relationships with a very prominent Emirati family, and you know how different people learned uh, how I was Jewish, because most people assumed I was Christian, because what kind of Jew would be crazy enough to go to the Emirates and teach? Yeah, and, which was my question. Out, yeah. Yes, I, I'm one that's crazy enough, but so what I learned was that if you let people know you as a human being first, the label of a religion or a label of an ethnic group or whatever else, maybe they'll accept you as a human being. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what I found. We found commonality. In, my, in the second semester in my you know, boys' class, uh, about halfway through, uh, one of the students asked me at the end of the class, uh, you know, are you a Jew? And I wrote, yeah, on the board. I wrote in the next class. That was the whole class. And I'm Jewish. Does anyone have a problem? And we talked about it. And I will tell you that I was the first, once again, I was the first Jew that these 36 men had ever met. And they were from the Emirates, and they were from Oman, and they were from and they were from Syria uh, and uh, Uganda. And uh, had a closer bond because we could talk back and forth. We argued whatever, and dealt with stereotypes. Uh, so it became, you know, that was a good thing. Yeah, and as yeah, you had a, again, you were in a yeah. very, you, you were in like the perfect situation where first they got to respect you, and then they found out, oh, by the way, he's Jewish. Because if you would have, you know, walked in with a sign, I'm Jewish on the first day, um, I don't think you would have gotten the reaction that you were able to get. 
Absolutely. And one of the funny anecdotes is, you know, talking about, uh, you know, Superman. And, you know, they're all like Superman. Well, you know, as I later told them, well, he was, you know, he was born in my hometown of Cleveland, Ohio. He was created by two guys. Well, Batman. Well, blah, blah. What about, well, Batman was Jewish. Well, what, you know, what about uh, Spider Man? Well, yeah, Jewish guys. So, you know, those types of things helped out. Uh, and, and also, you know, let me back. There was a, one chapter called The Big Lie, what I shot. I'm getting a lot of buzz about where I actually talk about, you know, are all Muslims terrorists? And I ask the students that and get their reaction. You go through that. And then my next thing is, are all Jews, you know, are all Jews evil? And the buzz and the reaction to that. And so, you know, you're able to just, I was able to because of the way I did things, you know things on the table and so I could see for myself the human reaction based on what? Based on eating people or knowing people. It's based on what you see or hear in the media. And especially during the Gaza War where it was like musical war videos that were playing on El Arabia and Al Jazeera constantly. That's all people saw. You know, one one line of me. So, yeah, you know, I, again, I think this story, because you were teaching journalism, and the one thing, forget about nowadays what's happening, but what you want journalists to understand is that we have to have an open mind. We have to see both sides of the story. If we come in with all our preconceived notions, we're not going to be able to be honest at all. And they had the perfect lesson to, that they had everything they thought about Jews, and then they get to meet you and find out that everything they thought till now was completely off. Uh, yes, and you know the same thing goes for think, Jews that should you know have experiences uh, with the Muslims and Arabs uh, around the world too. But we don't have that interaction because that's not how things are done. Uh, anymore because we've lost the human touch. And here I was able to do it not only as a professor, I was able to do it as a friend by with people you know, in the community that I'm still close with. Uh, I'm still you know, in touch with Nor, uh, uh, my other people in the book, uh, you know, the other main characters, Tony and, and others, you know, spent a month, a couple of weeks with them last, last year, about this time, almost a month. So the, it's all about relationships. And, uh, you know, I think, as you know, Rabbi, that I also, years ago, I went to Washington and became the number two executive at Hillel International. And uh, so I got to take my experience of, uh, you know, teaching the Arab world to the largest Jewish campus organization of the world, too. Uh, and, you know, talk about how we have to understand each other. Jews have to understand Jews, and Jews also understand Muslims and Arabs, and we're all different, and I think most want the same thing, which is live in peace and security. And I think, and again, as we've talked, the book uh, by David Eden, uh, My Pashtun Rabbi, and hopefully I gave you a little bit of a feeling I got David to bring out some of the things, his relationships that he was able to build Again, it's sad that he could only build the relationships because they didn't know he was Jewish. I myself wonder if you think you would have been successful building relationships um, if they would have known you were Jewish. Certainly a fascinating book. David, I am up against my break. And there's so many other fascinating things about your life. I would love to continue, 
but my time is just about up as my music is about to come on. I thank you for coming on. Um, I hope you had a great Rosh Hashanah, a great Sukkot. I hope uh, the Sukkot holiday is treating you well. And thank you again for joining us. Thank you very much, Rabbi. Hey, David, be well. When we come back from the break, we will not be joined by Rabbi Jonas and Goldson this week, but I have an amazing story my son told me the other day. We'll be right back. Maple Lane Golf Club is a 54-hole golfing treasure located in the heart of Sterling Heights. Maple Lane Golf Club offers immaculate greens, a top-flight pro shop, and inexpensive green fees. For convenience, book your tee time online at maplelanegolf.com. Come out and enjoy a great golf experience. Try our 9 and Dine special, 9 holes of golf, and enjoy food and refreshments in the Clubhouse Bistro. That's Maple Lane Golf Club in Sterling Heights. Check us out at maplelanegolf.com. At Murray's Park City, we're known for offering customer service you won't get in any chain store or online. But don't take it from me, just listen to what our customers have to say. The employees at Murray's are knowledgeable, courteous. They make you feel like you're at home. Pick up a can of Seafoam Fuel System Treatment for only $6.99 or a 5-quart container of Mobile One Motor Oil for just $28.95. Murray's Park City and Pontiac Trail at Maple Road in Wald Lake. We've got the parts you need when you need them. The latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market, all by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. Do you want to see things like this? Did you just say you died? <laughs> well. I mean, technically. Or maybe even something like this. We'll do nothing but destroy your corpses and burn them all for my dogs. Your dogs are gone. And sometimes, a little of this. We need to have a talk. <laughs> I take my axe and I smash it. No! <laughs> and check out Podquesters, the show where we tackle ghoulish goblins, fiendish foes, and dangerous drakes. Oh, like the singer? No, the dragon creature. Oh. Anyways, Podquesters, Fridays, only on NewRadioMedia.com leads me into my word of the week. Just perfect timing. So if Jake has my poster, he has my poster. We are up to the letter Nun. I guess it looks like a, a backward C. It's a little shorter. Its numerical value is 50. It makes an N-type sound. And therefore, my word this week is nace. A nace, a very interesting word, is generally translated as a miracle. It could also be a pole that would hold a flag. But generally speaking, a nace is a miracle. And I don't know, I think David's story is a miracle. The fact that he got there, that nobody recognized he was Jewish, he wasn't hiding it, he wasn't interested in hiding it, he was going to let people figure it out. We didn't even have time to get into this important uh, family that actually made him a Christmas dinner for his son because they thought he was Christian. And eventually he tells them he's Jewish. There's stories in there about a rabbi in Yemen we didn't have time to get to. Fantastic book. Pick it up. You'll, it'll blow your mind. So nice Miracle uh, is just a great, great idea. And uh, I guess we'll have sort of a miraculous story maybe at the end. But I wanted to tell you a story my son just uh, sent me. My son's in Israel. 
and I guess he's decided he needs a connection um, with all his siblings and his family. So he writes like a blog. It's not really a blog. It's just his uh, musings on email. But before, uh, to explain this story, I have to give you a lot of background, which is not good when you tell a funny story, but we have no choice. So first, you need to know like this. Um, when we talk about the holidays, so there's parts of the holidays where we don't do any work, we don't drive a car, we don't turn on any electronics. Usually the bookends of the holidays have those rules, and the in-between days um, are more lenient. We drive cars, we can write with pens, we can do more stuff. That's the first, you have to know the idea of a holiday. A holiday is similar to the Sabbath, not completely, but very similar. Okay, that's piece number one. Piece number two, without going into all the details, it's a little um, too lengthy for now, but in the land of Israel, there, when, for example, the Sukkot holiday, the first day of Sukkot is a holiday like the Sabbath. Then you have six days of what we call in-between, and then the eighth day is, again, a holiday like the Sabbath. If you live outside of the land of Israel, like in America, it's not just the first day. It's actually the first two days of the holiday are treated like Sabbath. So if you, are, if you live in the land of Israel, it's a one day. If you live in America, it's two days. Okay, now, that's piece of information number two. Piece of information number three. If you are an American, and you're in Israel for the Sukkot holiday, even though all the Israelis are keeping one day like Sabbath, but the Americans will keep two days like the Sabbath. Okay, so I think that should give us almost all the background information. One more piece of information. You, if, uh, if you dive in a synagogue, you may have experienced this. Otherwise, you've never experienced this. Um, there are people that unfortunately are poor, um, they may be homeless, certainly getting any money for food. They, they don't have the ability to work, so they collect. And as they will walk around the synagogue and they'll have some coins in their hand, like, uh, like the guy on Fiddler on the Roof, where he complains, if you know the story, where he goes to Tevya and he said, Tevya gives him a kopeck. And he says, one kopeck? Last week you gave me two kopecks. And he says, oh, see, I think they know that song. And he says, uh, had a bad week. So the guy says, because you had a bad week, I should suffer. Anyways, so that's someone who collects. And so now listen to this story. So, he, so my son is praying on the second day with his school, but they're praying like Americans because it's a, for them it's still the holiday. So there's a guy collecting in their synagogue. The problem is he doesn't realize that all the Americans that are praying in this and this group can't have any money on them because for them it's a real holiday. While for Israelis, it's not a holiday. So he goes to the whole synagogue and nobody gives him a penny. Nobody gives him a kopeck. Nobody gives him a pruta. Nothing. So the guy is very frustrated. Everybody gives a few pennies. So he starts to yell at them. And he says to them, he says, I don't understand you people. Nobody gave me a penny, not a pruta, nothing. So somebody goes and explains very kindly to him and says, look, it's our holiday. We're Americans. So since we're Americans, we have to keep a holiday for the second day. So no one has money. So this collector still didn't get it. So his comment was, oh, I understand. In America, they're seven hours behind, because it's a different country, a different latitude, different longitude. You guys are seven hours behind, so it's still the holiday. 
So I hope you're giggling, you're chuckling. If not, rewind and listen to this story a couple times because clearly the guy didn't get it. The whole day, they don't, we, they don't work on the time in America when they're in Israel. They just work on their own time. But anyways, I hope you appreciated that story. I am not going to have time to get into other things like to talk about what's called the Simchas Beis HaShoeva, where people get together and they dance and sing uh, as part of the holiday. It's all part of what's going on. But we're not going to have time. I'm up against it. So I hope you will enjoy and be joyous the rest of this holiday season. Of course, I have to thank all my wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know I couldn't do without you. My production team, uh, we have RD and Drew and Jake and Alyssa on the phones. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next week when the holidays will be over. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah, New Radio Media. And until next, until next week, don't forget to think about it. Bitter, bitter, rich. Idle, diddle, diddle, diddle.